This episode of News Dump is brought to you by Stamps.com. Put the hazmat suit on. We're going into the Snyderverse. Oh, no. I thought yeah. we were done talking about no, the Snyderverse. No, no, we're not, because there's more exposés that have come what? to light. What? You already got what you wanted. Why do we still have to talk about this? Uh, because uh, much like the January 6th hearings, this is the analysis after the fact that shows all the fuckery that went on. Well, Anyways, good. Who could have possibly predicted that the absolutely massive movement demanding that Warner Brothers release the Snyder Cut of Justice League was not only far smaller than anyone would have believed, but also was the result of fake accounts and bots stoking the flames of discontent over yet another hot-button issue in a culture war that pitted people against each other for literally no reason. Uh, I could have guessed that. <laughs> yeah, anyone could have. Anyone that wasn't brain-poisoned. Yeah. The Snyderverse campaign was fueled by bot accounts and bad actors who convinced a bunch of angry dorks that the drama that played out behind the scenes at a major motion picture studio was somehow a personal attack on a specific fan base, coupled with a threat that their favorite fictional characters would continue to be misused on purpose just to piss them specifically off all while elevating a just-okay director to God status, where he was more than happy to use his newfound online soldiers to uh, allegedly threaten anyone in his path. This is all so stupid. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, we knew about all this, or at least the surface-level details of it. We mm -hmm. reported on it for years. Something stupid was happening here. Something very sus, especially after watching the exact same scenarios play out over the past decade or so uh, through different mediums. There was... Uh, Ghostbusters, uh, Gamergate. Uh, there was that uh, weird Trump's presidency. There was that uh, weird little period where uh, people were spamming the internet, being like, "Don't go see Birds of Prey. Go see uh, Alita: Battle Angel. Alita: Battle Angel, a real movie." Anyway, yeah. yeah. So clearly, there were fake accounts spreading narratives, talking points, and responses that would then get picked up and regurgitated. Uh, there were numerous points throughout this whole campaign where you could copy and paste tweets relating to the Snyderverse into Twitter's search bar and just see that uh, that exact same phrasing was being used across hundreds, if not thousands, of accounts in a very inorganic way, it would seem. Yeah, all timed exactly within uh, minutes of each other. Yeah, coordinated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But any claim that something shady was going on or any critique of this uh, movement was seen as an attack and would result in a suspiciously coordinated response from seemingly random accounts who would berate, mock, and threaten people for daring to say that their goal was stupid, even though it was. Mm. Now, however, we have the data and the insider information that backs up a lot of the claims related to the uh, army of loyal Snyder fans, thanks to an exclusive article in Rolling Stone. And it is a doozy with a ton of fascinating information. So you should definitely use the links below to read the full article. Uh, but we're going to point out some of the more interesting bits of information. So according to two reports commissioned by Warner Media and recently obtained by Rolling Stone, at least 13% of the accounts that took part in the conversation about the Snyder Cut were deemed fake well above the 3 to 5% that cyber experts say they typically see on any trending topic. So while Snyder had scores of authentic flesh and blood fans, those real stands were amplified by a disproportionate number of bogus accounts. Alethea Group, a social media analytics firm, found that the ForSnyderCut.com domain, which claims to have made the release the Snyder Cut hashtag go viral in May of 2018 and became the leading hub for efforts to bring Snyder back to the helm of the DC Universe, was at least at one point, registered to a person who also ran a now-defunct ad agency which promoted its ability to bring cheap, instant avatar traffic to your website. Hmm. Uh, so the article goes on to talk about how rival studios were actually jealous of the amount of social media traffic that the movement was getting, 
before uh, taking a step back and getting a little suspicious about it themselves. Yeah, uh, quote, just look at that drop. The hashtag was trending at a million tweets a day for when they wanted to release the Snyder Cut, and it dropped down to 40,000 within days, says one digital marketing executive who claims the phenomenon became the talk of Hollywood. You don't see a drop like that organically. Instead, the executive says it appears to be a classic example of weaponizing a movement. And as for the data regarding the social media efforts obtained by Warner Brothers, they claim that the company had finally had enough when users started posting and sharing violent targeted threats to WB employees, causing the company to enlist multiple cybersecurity firms to analyze this trolling. The results confirm the obvious. Like with other sinister social media campaigns, Snyderverse Crowd was made up of bots and real users with targeted leaders for each platform whose posts would do well, causing the bots to amplify those posts further, leading real users to continue the snowball effect. But why? It's so weird. Entertainment is religion now. It's it's it comes down to the fact that uh, if otherwise normal, happy, or content people constantly feel threatened, they're motivated to take action against those threats. I guess so. Uh, Rolling Stone reached out to more cybersecurity firms, including one called Q5ID, and asked them to crunch the Snyderverse-related data. Their chief information officer followed up with the outlet, saying there is no question that bots were involved. And she then elaborated further, adding. There are certain patterns that bots give off that we saw here. They arrive at almost the same time in huge numbers, and many times the origin of thousands or even millions of messages can be traced to a single source or two. Sometimes they can be traced to unusual servers in remote countries, and their content will be precisely similar. Now, we should probably include the fact that, yeah, it is kind of funny that Twitter convinced Warner Brothers executives to spend uh, an alleged $100 million on something that they thought a massive amount of people actually wanted. And it's also undeniable at this point that uh, even though both versions aren't great movies, the Snyder version was actually better. I've still never seen it and probably never will. Too long. Yeah, it is It is too long. And why that aspect ratio is fucking stupid. It is. I, I watched both when it happened and I was like, well, at least this kind of makes sense. I, I'm still not like, it, it's not like mind-blowing. It's not yeah. like a, a totally different movie, but it makes the other one look completely nonsensical. The one released theatrically is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, if you, if you say it's better than that, that probably, yeah. it wouldn't be difficult to improve upon that. And also, Warner Brothers had plenty of problems with oh, its yeah. executive team. Kevin Sujihara was up to some shit. Yeah, while this was all going on. And, and Joss Whedon didn't come out looking good from this at all either. No. So <laughs> it, it, this was uh, bad in every aspect. The the Snyderverse was, it, it was very bad for Warner Brothers uh, and very bad for uh, fans of these comic book heroes in a lot of cases. Yeah. Anyway, another adverse effect that the movement did seem to have, though, was on Zack Snyder and his wife, Deborah, who, gassed up by this legion of fans and bots, reportedly gained a bit of a superiority complex and a threatening attitude when it came to dealing with the studio and any naysayers uh, from their reporting. Over the course of several weeks in the spring of 2020, the director repeatedly demanded that the names of two producers, Jeff Johns and John Berg, be removed from his upcoming recut of Justice League. Simultaneously, Snyder's wife, Deborah, another producer on the film, started pressing an executive in the studio's story department with the same directive. On June 26, 2020, Snyder had had enough. According to multiple sources familiar with the matter, Snyder confronted an executive in the studio's post-production department and issued a threat. Jeff and John are dragging their feet on taking their names off my cut. Now I will destroy them on social media. 
Hmm. Presumably through his own app. Uh, what was yeah, the he, app doesn't, that he, does? he doesn't use Twitter. He posts to like this other app that only he uses. It's like his own Jeremy Renner app. Yeah, or like his own Truth Social. Yeah. Um, but uh, it doesn't matter because if he posted something on that app or anywhere else, it immediately gets taken by yeah. the Snyderverse people. Uh, it, it did seem, and we've reported on this for years, but it's just like, there's something up here. The whole movement is just like, where is anyone get like? There's no paper trail for the money that was spent yeah. on uh, Times Square billboards and flyovers and stuff like that. And it's like, who are who are these people? Because they're not like at conventions or anything like that. It just like, yeah, it seems pretty in- inauthentic, or at least just people who want to be involved in something that was pissing a lot of people off. It's yeah, it was. Strange. Yeah. Uh, so Rolling Stone spoke with more than 20 people involved with both the original Justice League and Snyder's Cut, uh, most of whom believe that the director was working to manipulate the ongoing campaign. And Snyder claims that if anyone was pulling strings on the social media fervor, it was Warner Brothers trying to leverage my fan base to bolster subscribers to their new streaming service. Um, okay. But one source maintains Zack was like a Lex Luthor wreaking havoc. Hey, that's a Superman reference. Uh, it, it, it is... Funny though, but he's just like, oh, they're, he's just trying to use me, or Warner Brothers, just trying to use me to bolster their new streaming service when literally when it came to the point that it was actually going to be released, it was like, we'll do this, but we're doing it so we can get all these, all of these, you know, yeah. millions of very engaged and then, fans and then like, onto Warner Brothers' new streaming app, HBO Max. Um, and then the data seemed to in, uh, indicate that no one fucking watched this. Yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of a Morbius situation. They're like, all right, everybody, here's the thing you wanted. Uh, anyone, anyone else? We got. There's still some seats in there. Yeah. All the seats. But Morbius seemed like everyone was in on the joke except for the executives. Yeah. And also that happened within the span of like four months. Could you imagine if this Morbius shit was drawn out over four years? Because that's how exhausting this whole thing was. Yeah. Damn. While Snyder denies it, one source tells Rolling Stone that the director hired a digital marketing firm to juice fan engagement back in 2016 when his $250 million film Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice was savaged by critics. Either way, over the next three to four years, Snyder would embrace and use this social media army to his advantage with Warner Brothers. And at some point after being pushed out of his directorial role in the DC Universe, uh, reportedly sent an editor, quote, to the studio to retrieve hard drives that contained materials for Justice League. Snyder was asked to return them, considering they were studio property. He balked. Security was notified, sources say, but no action was taken. Okay. Uh, The reporting continues. Pricey publicity stunts ensued, like a towering Times Square ad, which can cost more than $50,000 per day, and a plane flying over Comic-Con with a banner calling for DC to release the Snyder Cut. None of the press reports at the time addressed who was footing the bill. Whatever role he may or may not have played in the Snyder Cut publicity blitz, at the close of 2019, Snyder sent his disciples into overdrive when he posted a picture of a set of film canisters labeled JL Director's Cut, running time 214 minutes. Uh, Running over the picture were the words, is it real? Does it exist? Of course it does. Now, one insider scoffed at the post. He refused to return the hard drives, which were studio property. This was just more orchestrated bullshit from Zach. But in 2020, Warner Media CEO Jason Kylar signed off on the release and post-production budget of the Snyder Cut and was weirdly into the whole social media aspect of it all. Kylar is a man who has no idea how the internet works, as he was one of the founding 
members of vessel though <laughs> have you thought about that word in a wow, long time wow yeah the mm -hmm. vessel the paid youtube knockoff that existed for like a year maybe less uh before being shut down due to lack of interest and i i didn't think it was a terrible idea at the time but it certainly failed yeah it was uh, uh it was like a bunch it was like a package deal of a bunch of uh it was like nerdist rooster teeth uh, linus tech tips yeah it was it, it was like all the big youtubers at the time or big channels at the time where they're like Look, we're going to take all of your content off of YouTube, but just for like uh, three or four days. Yeah. And then it can go back on there. And uh, in order for you to do this with us, we're going to give you so much VC money that you can't say no. Yeah. And uh, we'll just figure out how to make it because they're doing those like the nonsensical uh, kind of math when it comes to transitioning users where it's like, okay, well, uh, Machinima has... Uh, 50 million subscribers. So if like 1%, uh, you know, pays for this service, then obviously like there's gonna be no problem. We're yeah. gonna make this money back in no time. And, and uh, obviously that didn't happen. No. None of those people transitioned. And as soon as the money was gone, so were the content creators. So this guy's like, yeah, finally. Uh, yeah, so when that guy uh, golden parachuted up to <laughs> running the Warner Brothers studio, mm -hmm. uh, he saw how much engagement this Snyder Cut thing was getting online. And, uh, you know, he wanted to ride the wave. Since I got here 14 months ago, the chant to release the Snyder Cut has been a daily drumbeat in our offices and inboxes. Well, the fans have asked, and we are thrilled to finally deliver. Silicon Valley transplant Kalar had raised eyebrows internally when he initially floated the unconventional idea of announcing Snyder Cut from his own Twitter account and having the director flown to Dallas to address the AT&T board. Some became even more concerned when the CEO, who was publicly bantering with Snyder on Twitter, was told that Snyder was in possession of studio property. And they say he simply shrugged it off. <laughs> uh, Snyder demanded getting his way on more occasions as the actual production of his cut continued, despite everyone claiming that no further filming would need to take place. It was just his cut, after all. Yeah, he showed the film canister. It's already printed. Yeah, ready to go. Loaded up in a projector. Scenes were filmed and added to the cut, and uh, at one point, execs caught wind of Snyder using a DC character that was never supposed to be in Justice League at all. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, quote, a battle was also brewing between Snyder and DC Films president Walter Hamada over a Snyder cut arc involving the character Martian Manhunter. Sources say the character never appeared in the script, leaving the studio blindsided. <laughs> Hamada demanded the footage not be used. DC had other plans for Martian Manhunter and didn't want him wasted in two random scenes. But sources say Snyder threatened to delete other footage if he didn't get his way. In a move that dismayed studio insiders, Kylar overruled Ann Sarnoff and allowed Martian Manhunter to appear in the Snyder Cut. The director was also given the $13 million he'd been demanding in production costs. That brought the studio's total expenditure on the film to $73 million before marketing costs put it over the $100 million mark. Why would you need to spend $27 million on marketing when you've already got this free built-in uh, army that is so rabid? Yeah, they're, about... they're putting up ads in Times Square for you. Why do you need to market this thing? No idea why you would even make the effort yeah. to market it when you could just have that money. Maybe save some jobs. Wow, this would have been so annoying to work at Warner Brothers while this was going on. I know, because you're just <laughs> being gaslit by the internet the entire <laughs> this time. This is so fucking stupid. It's wild. I mean, like, stealing stealing hard drives, whatever. This is like some 1970s, like, new Hollywood shit, except, like, it's just hilarious, like, imagining, you know, Martin Scorsese or Dennis Hopper 
like stealing studio property to make fucking <laughs> Justice League. Yeah, 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 <laughs> this yeah. This yeah. so funny. Yeah. It's my passion project. Yeah. The world needs to see Justice League. <laughs> It's it's wild. Like the the story about the creation of the Snyder cut of Justice League is way more fascinating than anything yeah. that happened on screen. Yeah. Uh, in addition to all of this, a uh, Snyder continued to use his online fan base as a threat to get his way. In one case, asking a journalist to remove several sentences from a story about the online mob and their targets, reportedly telling that journalist, "I'm just telling you what the fans are going to do. Trust me, they are pretty 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 rough." Pretty, pretty, pretty rough. Uh, in another scenario, the mob attacked another Warner Brothers movie, Godzilla vs. Kong, because its director had previously been critical oh, of the movie. No. When fans review-bombed Adam Wingard's Godzilla vs. Kong, sources say the director asked Snyder through an intermediary to tell his fans to stand down, and that Snyder refused. Snyder says he was never asked to have his fans stand down, adding, Furthermore, I do not control my fans. They have their own will and their own opinions. You really give me too much credit. Dude, come on. Like, you wouldn't fucking say something and they'd be like, all right, all right, all right. Snyder said to yeah, do or not to do this. This is lame. The, the, this is God worship at one point. Yeah. And, and what a weird, what a weird person to like, just, you know, what a weird hill to die on. And it was Zach so, Snyder. the constantly like, uh, like just the effectiveness of narrative changes as they happened, like with the, the cyborg guy like calling out uh, executives at Warner Brothers for certain things, and it's just like just full force pushing that. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the the very very nice, very good uh, donations that were made to suicide prevention sources. Sure. Uh, yeah. That's all great, but it's like that was then used as a, a thing to refute any negativity about this at all. Like, yeah. oh, well, well, you must want people to die or something. Yeah. It's, I just. It's weird shit. Get yeah. a life. Get a fucking life. So anyway, yeah, a wild but completely predictable outcome and analysis of this movement after the fact. A nice little post-mortem. And another clear example of how people are manipulated and used on social media by thinking that they're under attack and that they've found a, a natural group of like-minded individuals who are working towards a completely justifiable and legitimate goal. Like telling people uh, that the earth is flat. You know, no matter how many lives they potentially ruin in the process, mm -hmm. you are ontologically good. And they are, therefore, it ontologically used, evil. It used to be a thing where uh, movies came out and they were bad and everyone was like, well, that sucked. Anyways. Hey, it's a good thing they release hundreds of these <laughs> every year. I just can't. I just don't understand getting getting uh, that. Uh, it's you because know, you belong to a either. movement. And any strike against that movement was a strike against you personally. That is, it became a personal attack to say anything negative about the Snyder Cut. Yeah. Yeah. It's just very strange, man. Mm -hmm. But okay, now it's time to take a breather. Step away from this, this nonsense. Calm yeah. down a bit and prepare you for the second half of the episode by thanking today's sponsor, Stamps.com. We all know how important it is to save money where you can, especially in this economy. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you're a small business owner, like the owner of WB, inflation certainly isn't doing you any favors. If you're a business that's looking for ways to cut some costs, mailing and shipping is a great place to start. With Stamps.com, you can skip the trip and never waste another dollar or minute. Stamps.com lets you print official postage right from your computer so you can spend less time at the post office and more time running your business. Stamps.com saves you time, money, and stress. 
for more than 20 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Stamps.com gives you access to all the post office and UPS shipping services that you need right from your computer. And you get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 30% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and standard printer, no special supplies or equipment. You're up and running in minutes, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. Save time and money this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code NEWSDUMP for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. You just go to Stamps.com, you click on that microphone up at the top of the page, and you enter our code NEWSDUMP. There you go. Back to the show now with the news, and it's time to get time to get real angry at a traditional punching bag, Ticketmaster. You know just <laughs> as well as we do that Ticketmaster and Live Nation are some of the worst, most evil companies in the world when it comes to consumer satisfaction. And that's because they have a complete stranglehold on the live entertainment business. Over the past few decades, it has become more and more expensive and just plain aggravating to attend live events because of Ticketmaster's exorbitant and seemingly pointless fees and the severe bot and scalping issues that cause tickets to uh, instantly sell out where they are immediately flipped on the secondary market for prices that are legitimately outrageous. Uh, in recent years, Ticketmaster debuted its own uh, secondary market where you could resell purchase tickets that are verifiable through the company that originally sold it since it's all, I guess, just stayed in the same ecosystem. Yeah. And also because Ticketmaster gets to rake in those fees every time a ticket's bought or sold to the point that a single ticket could generate hundreds of dollars in fees if it's bought and resold a handful of times. And that's just one ticket, baby. Uh, and uh, disclaimer, yes, we're aware that uh, Ticketmaster's marketing and the record labels have uh, indicated that Ticketmaster only puts those outrageous fees on every ticket sold because uh, the, the artist would feel terrible charging what the tickets were actually worth. So we let Ticketmaster take the hit on this one. It's like, dude, what? All of you are making money except for the fucking artist, unless they're like one of the biggest artists in the entire goddamn world. Yeah. And, you know, record labels are also taking merch money now. So get fucked. And also, it is so brazen, so clear that they're like self-dealing here with yeah. their own resale no, market. And they made a way. So they've always just been a middleman. And yeah. now they've become their own middleman. Yeah. They're, it's a meta meta middleman. And they've also, they've uh, not that scalping's good, but if you needed to get a ticket and not pay twice the price of a ticket in just service fees, yeah, um, yeah you like get a physical ticket mailed to you or show up and there's someone holding tickets and mailing it to you or they Can't send it to you. Can't even do that anymore. No, because Ticketmaster has fucking, uh, uh, the tickets the, like, uh, change barcode, the barcode yeah. every couple of seconds, so you yeah. literally can't do any of that. It's whack. Uh, anyways, uh, the uh, thing we were just talking about, the, their own secondary market, this led to an even more frustrating experience because it really, really seemed as though Ticketmaster was intentionally holding on to tickets so that they could resell them on their own secondary market and make more money than they otherwise could have. There have been claims made online that brokers sometimes work with Ticketmaster to do this, where portions of tickets are sold with the intention of being resold. Because guess what? Ticketmaster wins. I mean, it, it definitely seems that way as a consumer who likes to go to concerts and stuff, especially when, when uh, you wait in a virtual queue for hours before the on-sale time. It's like, oh, these go on sale at 10 a.m., but you better be there at 8.30 in the morning to stand in E-Line, yeah. uh, only to see that a mm, 5,000 capacity venue has 
instantly sold out. No tickets available. Just that's crazy. Wow. Odd that this didn't happen two years ago when this resale platform yeah. wasn't in existence. But anyways, so you go ahead, you buy a ticket on the secondary market, you attend the show, and then you see that the concert is half empty. So where are all the tickets? Where'd the tickets go? It is just, look, this is coming from very personal experience. It is fucking infuriating. But now Ticketmaster has an even newer, even more frustrating system that they've implemented. And it's called dynamic pricing. And it's a feature that changes the price of a ticket based on demand. And that ticket could be anywhere in the venue. You're talking front row, fucking nosebleeds. Doesn't yeah. matter. We're going to change the price based on how many people are trying to access our site right now. And by the way, we own all that data. So uh, you could, we're just going to tell you how many people are accessing it and what the demand is. Sounds like you hate economics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll cool it there, Marks. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this, uh, this feature, it first started rolling out just before the pandemic hit. And obviously, live events were pretty much canceled for months uh, to, in some cases, years. So everyone kind of forgot about it. But it's back, and it's more frustrating than ever. And all it took for someone to write an angry article about it was when it affected boomer music. You do not mess with boomers. No, they're very upset with how much this is. Yeah. They're so, uh, uh, they are so gosh darn upset. Yeah. Yeah. They're they are so peed off. <laughs> they're going to make a Minions meme about it. Yeah. Uh, and sorry, Bruce Springsteen fans. He's great. But his demographic clearly it skews to a higher age range. Yes. Anyway, here's Variety with more on this awesome new dynamic pricing model. Bruce Springsteen fans like to think of him as tougher than the rest, not pricier than the rest. So there were <laughs> inevitable eruptions of anger when fans logged on for the first day of sales for the opening shows on his 2023 arena tour and found tickets going for as high as $4,000 to $5,000 for mid-range floor seats. <laughs> These it, seats are mid! And into the four figures for other less desirable tickets that remained. If these were being offered on the secondary market, offers that exorbitant might be expected. But what gave fans sticker shock was that these were face value tickets with no middleman jacking up the price. <laughs> well, Ticketmaster, again, they are the middleman. Yeah. They've just been around long enough that you don't think of them as that, but they are the middleman between venues and uh, people who want to go to venues. What's even more, like there's so many things that are frustrating about this, but what's even more frustrating about this is that these are the fan verified access uh, mm -hmm. tickets where like artists will have some way of of you indicating that you're part of like a Bruce Springsteen yeah. fan club or like you bought the album and you get a thing that gets you in to buy the tickets first because you're an actual fan. Yeah. You're not one of those scalpers. Congratulations. This, That'll be $5,000. The same thing literally just happened to me with uh, Mars Volta announced a reunion wow, concert wow. at uh, Palladium. Damn. And I was like, oh, great. And I had... You know, obviously been a fan for a very long time. Got an access code. Was in there bright and early, and fucking poof, everything was goddamn gone. And the dynamic pricing thing for like way up in the the second level in the back corner was like eight hundred dollars for one ticket. And it's like, you these are going to be available for you know a decent price when the show actually happens. But I am going to be so yeah. fucking infuriated if I walk in there and there's and it's not fucking packed. Yeah. Huh. I mean, I can't. I haven't bought the tickets yet. I, can, I literally can't afford it. So I'm just gonna wait until uh, the day of and see if it drops down. It's a great venue. The Palladium, the Palladium is a good venue. I love it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this was an introduction for many fans to Ticketmaster's dynamic pricing program, in which platinum tickets, which may be placed anywhere in the arena, from the front section all the way to the back rows, 
uh, fluctuate in price in what is said to be ongoing reaction to demand. That's just supply and demand, baby. If you hate this, you hate America. <laughs> and you hate your own goddamn self. Mm -hmm. uh, so fan ire was quickly evident in responses to an early tweet from Backstreets, the Springsteen fan magazine, which posted a screenshot of the price for one seat on the tour's opening night and wondered, Tampa mid-floor for $4,400, anyone? That's an amount that included $3,819 in face value plus $569.50 <laughs> in fees. $570 in fees. Well, how do you expect us to process this ticket? It's not free. That's, we got bandwidth to pay for. That's the other thing that's so fucking frustrating. Like, another real world example. Go to a Dodger game, the fees on the ticket. If you're buying a $50 seat, the fees, it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's like $550 for fees or something. I'm just, I'm making up the fee. I don't know for sure. Uh -huh. But, like, you want to go to the All-Star game. And it's like, well, that ticket's $500. Um, and by the way, we're just going to do the same percentage on the fees, even though there's no fucking difference yeah. in sending you the ticket. No, so now you owe $55 in fees instead of $5 because fuck you. That's why. Yeah. It, it, this should be illegal. <laughs> they, they've brought this to fucking uh, Congress before. For like 30 years. Yeah. It's been like on the table as like, someone should do something about this. They, and it just it, keeps getting worse. It's been so bad for so long that Pearl Jam tried to fight this in the yeah. 90s and failed. Yeah. Like that, like the same year that like the you know the they were putting that shit on albums, like explicit lyrics. Yeah, parental advisory. And this is it's only it's gotten worse in the past couple of decades because fucking these these companies go and buy all the venues. Yeah. So it's like the venue can't even host an independent show. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, other perturbed fans quickly joined in with screenshots of the unusually costly offers they were getting once they'd gone through Ticketmaster's verified fan system and waited in an online queue. If the verified fan system and fast escalating prices were designed to thwart scalpers, there was some question how successful that was. Late in the day, the seating chart for the Tulsa, Oklahoma show appeared to show about a fifth of the seats in the arena already having been turned around and put up for sale on the secondary market via Ticketmaster's resale program where individual sellers who want to pass on their tickets are free to set their own prices. Springsteen's camp declined comment and Ticketmaster had not responded with a comment at the time of this writing. But what are you going to fucking do about it? We yeah, run what are you going to do? That's the thing is, uh, in a lot of cases, this is actually... You know, the blockchain would solve this. this in, a, in, a <laughs> lot, in a lot of cases, this is backfiring already. Uh, there's been, I know specifically with Golden Voice, they've had to uh, get pretty desperate with... Because there's obviously, there's even before the pandemic, there was an overload of festivals. Too many yeah. festivals. Yeah. But they just kept making festivals. And it's like the thing that made festivals special was that there was like one or two a year and you would travel to different yeah. parts of the country to go to it. Now there's five festivals in every major city. So uh, Golden Voice has had to... Uh, they've been doing promotions where they there's like two festivals where they just sliced off an entire day. Yeah. Like we're just moving all the bands to one day mm -hmm. and uh, you only have to pay a one day fee. Or in some cases they're like, all right, we're doing no fees. Come on, baby. Let's get these tickets. We got no fees. Come yeah. on, baby. And uh, it's uh, apparently not working. So uh, the looming recession, uh, all of the income inequality, a, a and the inflation. crash. There is going to be a, a crash in live events. Like, Good. There's, the, there is the demand that currently exists is not a long-term realistic thing because just like with travel and air travel and vacations, Everyone is coming out of a fucking two-year fugue state yeah. where they want to do everything they couldn't do for two years. So 
I think that this will hopefully sort itself out, but Ticketmaster is going to ride this no matter what. Like yeah. in a year, are the tickets going to be 4,000? Like, no, but they're, they're, they're still going to be 1,000 because our dynamic pricing says that a lot of people really want these. So we're going to literally hold it above their heads. That's just economics, baby. But let's <sighs> calm down from all that anger and laugh at our broken world with a story that proves there's either a glitch in the matrix or whoever's running this show thinks we're all stupid for not noticing how hilarious, ironic, and stupid this next story is. And by now, you're probably aware that members of the Secret Service deleted some text messages that were sent and received during the January 6th insurrection on the U.S. Capitol. For a while, it looked like those messages were going to be recovered, but turns out they couldn't do it. The messages were actually gone, which should either make you feel a little bit better about mobile phone privacy or shocked that somehow every shred of data sent over the airwaves isn't harvested and saved. Well, it is for normal people, yeah. apparently not the Secret Service. But anyways, it obviously looks bad that Secret Service agents were deleting certain texts on a very particular day, especially when their actions and input have been drawn into question throughout these hearings. But at least one Secret Service agent, in fact, the director of the Secret Service while Trump was in office and during the time when messages seemingly disappeared, has decided to put all this behind him and is leaving his role in the Secret Service for, you're not going to believe this, a company that is built around the very idea that messages vanish after a short amount of time. Snapchat. Okay, little on the nose, but thanks. From USA Today. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> Secret Service Director James Murray announced his retirement Thursday following a nearly three-decade career at the agency he has led for the past three years. It has been the highest honor and privilege to call this exceptional agency my home for more than half my life, Murray said in a statement. Secret Service spokesman Anthony Googly-Emly, Googly-Emly, Google me. Yep. Said Murray would be leaving the agency at the end of the month to oversee security for a technology and communications company. Snap Inc., the parent company of Snapchat, confirmed that Murray would be joining the social media company. And while it's hilarious that the guy at the head of a top government agency that has now been accused of deleting messages has moved to a company that specializes in deleting messages, um, while that's funny and ironic, this should also be pretty unsettling for anyone still using Snapchat. Or any social media platform. Yeah. You are taking an inherent risk in your data and privacy. Is anyone other than like drug dealers still using Snapchat though? I don't know because... How are they even still in business? It seems like TikTok would have taken away any shred yeah. of business that Snapchat had. Yeah. I, I guess it's just kids who think their messages are getting deleted after they send them to each other. All right. Yeah. Now this guy's going to show him how to really delete messages. Yeah, trust me. I know what I'm talking about. Uh -huh. Anyway, we'll leave you with a little good uh, little news squirt here at the end. Uh, Minecraft has taken a stand against NFTs and, yeah. and indicating they will not embrace this trend. Uh-uh, no way, no how. And they will ban any use of their IP when it comes to NFTs. No fucking thanks, at least for now. Yeah. Uh, earlier this week in a blog post, the Microsoft-owned company said the following. Recently, we've received some feedback from members of the community asking for clarification and transparency regarding Mojang Studios and Minecraft's position on NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and blockchain. While we are in the process of updating our Minecraft usage guidelines to offer more precise guidance on new technologies, we wanted to take the opportunity to share our view that integrations of NFTs with Minecraft are generally not something we will support or allow. Good. Yeah, uh, they add that if you're a player or creator actively involved in the buying, selling, or trading of NFTs that make use of Minecraft, like skins or worlds, we strongly suggest you go through the information below. And that information that they're talking about reads in part, 
In our Minecraft usage guidelines, we outline how a server owner can charge for access and that all players should have access to the same functionality. We have these rules to ensure that Minecraft remains a community where everyone has access to the same content. NFTs, however, can create models of scarcity and exclusion that conflict with our guidelines and the spirit of Minecraft. Uh, they go on to talk about all the third parties that are using Minecraft to grift you on NFTs, and then they finish up by saying, to ensure that Minecraft players have a safe and inclusive experience, blockchain technologies are not permitted to be integrated inside our Minecraft client and server applications, nor may they be utilized to create NFTs associated with any in-game content, including worlds, skins, persona items, or other mods. Uh, but they do also leave the door slightly open by adding, we will also be paying close attention to how blockchain technology evolves over time to ensure that the above principles are withheld and determine whether it will allow for more secure experiences or other practical and inclusive applications in gaming. However, we have no plans of implementing blockchain technology into Minecraft right now. Small victories. But yeah, that's another, right. the whole NFT crypto thing is another example of uh, pretty clear bot manipulation on social media into convincing... You're going to need an NFT. Everyone's getting NFT. But it's also convincing large, successful companies to yeah. embrace this pointless endeavor because they see uh, just all the data. They're like, well, look. If just 1% of these people actually buys our stupid NFT, <laughs> why, we're going to be swimming in money. Yeah. Yeah. And it's only when a company like uh, like Chevrolet or just a normie company gets in on it, they're like, well, literally no one bid on our Corvette NFT. So uh, we're just not going to do that anymore. Nice little experiment. Uh, yeah, we learned our lesson. Thanks. <laughs> that was dumb. All right. Yeah. Wow, that fucking sucked. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it is the last chance for merch. I have sent the email. The merch store will be coming offline July 31st. So you have just about a week. Is there anything even left in that store? I don't know. You better go there and find out. <laughs> the link's in the description below. But uh, in the meantime, please watch our two-year-old episode of Tech News Day. That's a joke. It's not two years old, yeah. though it did show up for people as being a episode that was two years old because YouTube is a fully functional because website. Because we've predicted the future so many times that, you know, it's just... Now we're we're uploading our videos into the past. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so yes, it, it is actually a new video. It's not two years old. Please watch it over here. And we also have the video from earlier in this week about heists. Check both of those out. Subscribe to the channel, and we'll see you soon for some weird news. Bye.